Aren't you glad you serve the great I am? I am so honored to be here. Thank you for letting me come this week. Thank you, preacher, for inviting me. Uh, thanks for inviting me back in a couple of years. And we'll see. I said I'll, I'll give you the date, but I'll give you the right to cancel it. I'm not sure what my uh, preaching ability will be like at that time and how uh, able people will be to sustain it for several days. Uh, but so very kind. And thanks for your generosity. And thanks for your faithfulness. Thanks for being here. Thanks for loving the Lord. Tremendous Wednesday night crowd. Uh, I haven't said anything about the books. I only give the spiel once. I should have said, if I'm out of something you wanted, I'll give you the price that I offered here. And if you'll pay it and then put your name on a piece of paper, I'll mail them all to the church at my expense. So I don't want you to not have anything you wanted to have. I do have, uh, I brought twice as many copies of my wife's book as I'd normally bring. And you've already bought almost three quarters of them. And I'll say this, the title for this, I Have Jesus, the story behind that title is worth the price of the book. My father-in-law died at the age of 88. My wife and her sister went down to Florida to my in-law's winter place, and uh, we're helping my mother-in-law clear things up. They found a letter that my wife's grandmother had written her mother 72 years earlier, when my mother-in-law was 16 years old. It's a beautiful letter. It is reproduced in the book, and she talks about struggles and trials and things she might face, and she said, always remember, for this, we have Jesus. And I, I did, at my wife's request, write out the gospel and include it at the end of the book, so then anybody you give it to will get a clear presentation of the gospel. But thank you. I mentioned in the past for the cloud what a blessing he has been so kind. I mentioned Brother Josh, and of course your pastor and his family. But I forgot to say anything about Brother Beatty. Now, Brother Beatty may be new, but he has made an exceptional impact for the brief amount of time that he's been on the staff. He's a young man was able to quickly grasp the biblical concepts pertaining to a situation and explain the, the I'm sorry Brother Beatty I can't read your writing I hope I still get the ten dollars I apologize Hebrews chapter 7 Hebrews chapter 7 I've been working on this sermon while I've never preached it and I think the Lord wants me to preach it tonight so I remember having an evangelist in our church years ago, and he didn't do a very good job on the sermon. He said, he said, Brother, I'm sorry. I've only preached that sermon twice before. And I said to him, his name was Dean. I said, Brother Dean, how many chances do you think I get? <laughs> Every sermon I preached as a pastor was a first-time sermon, but not as a traveling speaker. So stand with me, if you would, please. I was reading my devotions a little while ago in the book of Hebrews. And I was struck by one of the verses here particularly. Now, Hebrews chapter 7 is probably the pivotal verse, chapter in the book of Hebrews. You know 
that the book of Hebrews tells us that in Christ we have a better way. He's better than the angels. He's better than the old covenant. He's better than the Aaronic priesthood. And that's particularly what chapter 7 focuses on. The Bible says uh, in verse, uh, oh, let us just look at verse 16. Here's a verse that struck me. We'll look at other verses as we go through the message. The Bible tells us, verse 15, it is far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. Melchizedek predated Moses. He was the uh, king of uh, Salem and the priest is the king of righteousness and the priest of Salem. And Salem means peace, so he brought together righteousness and peace. He was a king and a priest. Nobody else did that in the Old Testament. Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. His ancestry is unmentioned, without mother, without father, no beginning, no ending, no mention of his death. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And from Abraham sprang the Aaronic priesthood. So the author tells us here that Aaron was subject to Melchizedek. And then the Bible says in verse 16, it was made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. I want to talk to you a little bit, the Lord helping me. <laughs> About the power of an endless life. Lord, do empower me by your spirit. <coughs> Give to us what we need. May we not only leave here rejoicing in our Savior. <coughs> <laughs> but revived in our spirit <coughs> and recommitted <coughs> in our service for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe seated. <coughs> the Bible tells us that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a better priest. You see, I think priesthood was both individually and corporately a passing priesthood. Uh, it was temporary. Jesus is our permanent priest, verse 23. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Hey, people sometimes Preacher, pray for me. I got this serious problem. I'm afraid I might die. <clears throat> Let me help you. You will. Yeah, unless we lived to the coming of the Lord Jesus, that's yeah. a privileged part of that generation. Ain't none of us getting out of this thing alive. It is appointed in the men once to die. They died. But this man, verse 24, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Now the 
as I understand it, the priests in the Old Testament began serving as a kind of an apprentice at the age of 25. They served as a full-fledged priest from the time they were 30 until the time they were 50. Now, that would mean that if your pastor's ministry were limited to 20 years, you got three years and you got to get somebody else. I think he can go a lot longer than that. I hope he does. But all of the relationships they had with their priest were very temporary. If you're five years old and your priest comes in, you get another one at 25, you got another one at 45, you got another one at 65, you live that long, you got another one at 85. I have a doctor when I was a young man, Dr. Whitey, wonderful Christian, good doctor, great testimony. And he left and became a missionary to Guatemala. And I had to get another doctor. I made friends with the Democrat representative to the state of Michigan House from our area named Lou Dodak, who became the Speaker of the House. Second most powerful politician in the state of Michigan. And you know what happened? He served his term limit and somebody else came in. And all that friendship was over. I made friendship with the next Speaker of the House, another Speaker of the House, young man named Lee Chatfield. His dad is an independent Baptist preacher. And he was so helpful. I got to pray at the uh, first state of the state address of our illustrious governor, Gretchen Whitmer. And uh, it was an intriguing experience. But you know what? He got term limited out. He became a lobbyist. And now he's not in politics at all. I had a lawyer who was a wonderful friend, a great Christian. Hardly charged me anything. I was always after him to charge me more money when he did me work. Knew the Bible as well as any layman that I know. And he was so helpful. He had such good insight. He knew the law. He knew the word of God. He got COVID and he died. All of our earthly relationships are temporary. But in Jesus, we have one who is a priest forever. Not only that, it's a sinful priest replaced by our sinless priest. For the law, verse 28, made men high priests which have infirmity. You know what the qualification was to be a priest in the Old Testament? You had to be a Levite. You had to be born of the tribe of Levi. You could be stupid and become a priest. You could be lazy and become a priest. You could be corrupt like Hophni and Phineas, like Nadab and Abihu, and you could become a priest. And you might have a good priest, and you might have a bad priest. You might have a priest who really tried to minister to you, and you might have one who couldn't wait to get his hand on his part of the sacrifice and maybe even take a little bit extra But ah, the sinful priest of Aaron is replaced by our sinless Savior. Verse 26, such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. 
a better priest. I heard a poem when I was a young man, and it intrigued me. So once in Persia lived a king who upon his signet ring graved a maxim true and wise, which if held before his eyes gave him counsel at a glance, fit for every change or chance. Solemn words, and these are they, even this shall pass away. At the revels of the sport at the zenith of the court, when the palms of all his guests burned with clapping in his chest, he amidst his figs and wine cried, Ah, loving friends of mine, pleasure comes, but not to stay. Even this shall pass away. Trains of camels through the sand brought him gems from Samarkand. Fleets of galleys through the seas brought him pearls to match with these. But he counted not his gain, treasures of the mind or main. What is wealth, the king would say, for even this shall pass away. Standing in the public square, 20 cubits in the air, rose his statue carved in stone. Then the king, disguised, unknown, stood before his sculptured name, using meekly what is fame. Fame is but a slow decay, and even this shall pass away. All we get so attached to, so invested in, so hooked up to stuff that is temporary and forget we have a permanent, eternal relationship with our priest, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Better priest, a better process. Verse 27. Who needeth not daily as those priests to offer sacrifice. First for his own sin, and then for the people's. Now, I want you to understand that the priest was offering sacrifices all day, every day. He was covered in blood. And they were like the newspaper. Once they're a day old, they weren't any good. You can sell day old bread. You can sell things that are past their sell by date in the grocery department, but nobody wants a day old newspaper. And those priests gave sacrifice again and again and again and again. Ah, but the Bible says, but the Bible says this man offered himself once, once he offered himself up. It wasn't only a perpetual process, replaced by a perfect process. Our Savior's sacrifice on the cross of Calvary paid at one time for all the sins of all the sinners of all the world. Our Calvinist friends, believe in a limited atonement. They believe the Lord Jesus only shed his blood for the select people that he had preordained would be saved. Now, by the way, I don't think anybody became a Calvinist from reading their Bible. No, somebody told you stuff. But Charles Spurgeon said that the very idea of a limited atonement 
covenant is ridiculous. He said, the blood shed by our Savior is not a matter of quantity, but of quality. He said, if his blood could pay for the sins of any sinner, it's adequate to pay for all the sins, all the sinners in all the world. And he did it once. perpetual process replaced by a permanent process, but a hopeless process replaced by a hopeful process. Verse 19, for the law made, say the next two words with me, nothing perfect. Nothing perfect. You say, what good was it? Well, men obeyed God and demonstrated faith. That's what it was all about. And when they did what God said, every sacrifice, every offering was a reminder, a foreshadowing, a prophetic uh, uh, teaching of the fact that Jesus would one day come and be our perfect sacrifice once for all. I'm not a big letter writer. I told the preacher I get drawn into enough stuff. I try to stay out of things I can. Three times in my 50 years of Ministry, I felt that the Lord wanted me to go on record and take a stand on a particular issue. One of them was when I went to Bridgeport, we were part of the, um, uh, I think it was called then the Conservative Baptist Association of Michigan. It later on became the uh, Independent Fundamental Baptist Association. They run Camp Kobiak. Our church was in it. I didn't join it. I didn't doing them with it, but they were just in it. My brother-in-law, who pastors across town for me, became the president of that organization. And they had an annual meeting of pastors. It was at his church, and they had a theologian come. And the theologian from a theological seminary, they say he is the foremost systematic theologian in America today. And he read a paper and it was terrible. It was against the King James Bible. It was against soul winning. It was pro-Calvinism. It took the wrong position on the blood of Christ. See, the Bible says the blood of Christ is the blood of God. Amen. Acts 20, 28. And uh, so he read the paper and he printed it out and gave everybody. And he said that everybody didn't agree on those issues ought to separate. So my brother-in-law wrote me the paper. I said, that's terrible. I called the guy that was then running Camp Kobiak. Now it's a better place now. It wasn't a bad place. It was a better place now. Aaron Wilson is married to my niece. So it's a wonderful place, great place. And uh, really he's done a fabulous job. He worked for us for eight years on our church staff. And uh, I called the guy who was there then and he said, ah, oh, he didn't mean that. I said, well, I'm afraid I might have to write a response. I don't want young preachers to think we all believe this. See, if error speaks and truth is silent, a lot of people are going to believe error. Don't ever get upset with your preacher when he takes a stand. Man, those articles he wrote that have been put in a booklet on our King James Bible are fabulous. And they've helped live 
Yeah, I printed them off before they were in a booklet. I got them on the internet. I printed them off. I gave them to a bunch of preachers. Great stuff. And, and it's really important when somebody comes out and tries to attack our Bible that somebody gives people on the other side some answers. So I called the uh, another guy that was in the leadership of the organization. He said, oh, he didn't mean that. So I called the guy. He said, yeah, I meant that. I was very honest with him. I said, I'm considering writing a response. So we went point by point and discussed all those issues. And he, he was talking to me about the blood of Christ. Now here's what the foremost theologian in fundamentalism said to me. I'll guarantee you got young people in your Bible Institute can answer this. He said, well... We know that some sacrifice could be made without blood. Some atonement for sin could be made without blood. Because in the Old Testament, there was an offering of meal or of grain. Go ahead and answer him. Tell him I'll be there later. <laughs> but I'm not upset. I thank God that I speak with cell phones more than you all. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak 10 words uninterrupted. Well, never mind. <laughs> and I said, no. None of those sacrifices took away anybody's sin. Yeah. You know the verse probably something you say with me. It is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It was hopeless. Nobody was permanently covered. Nobody was permanently cleansed. Nobody was permanently consecrated. Ah, but the verse goes on to say, verse 19, the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Now, I remind you that word hope in our Bible is not used as some flimsy, ethereal, maybe it'll happen kind of deal. No, no, no. It's used in Acts chapter 26. I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise of God. Romans 5, 2. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 8, 24. We are saved by hope. And the word means a confident expectation. The blessed hope of the great appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, a better priest, a better process, a better prospect. Do you, do you imagine the Old Testament saint had assurance of their eternal destiny? Some, I think, did. Some, I think, wondered. They didn't have First John. They didn't know these things that are written that she may know that she had eternal life. Uh, I think Job knew he was going to see God. He said, uh, uh, the worms destroy my body, I'm going to see God someday. I know that my Redeemer liveth. I, I think there's some who had some assurance. But then they didn't have what we have. They were saved the same way by faith. They looked forward to the cross. We get to look back at the finished work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's what it says. Verse 25, wherefore, he is able also 
to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. I wouldn't fight you on it, but I believe the blood of Jesus Christ is in heaven. I believe that the Lord Jesus, our great high priest, pleads our case as our advocate if any man sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And I believe when I mess up and you mess up and God the Father has, as he always has, just reason to send us to hell forever. God the Son says, he trusted in me. I shed my blood for him. I have paid for his sin. A better prospect for Jews and for Gentiles. For those who live what men would call a good life and those who live a life of unspeakable evil for beggars and for billionaires, for high society and for the homeless on the street, for drunkards and for dignitaries, for royalty and those clothed in rags, for the handsome and the homeless, for the, the brainless and the brilliant, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, no matter what anybody has told you about how worthless and wicked you are, Jesus, our holy and perfect high priest, loves you. He died for you. He's not willing that any should perish, and he is able to save to the uttermost all those that come to God by him. And then we have a better power. The verse I read you, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Why? Why is the Lord Jesus able to do what the Aaronic priesthood could never do? Why is he able to redeem us forever by one sacrifice? Why is his blood shed on Calvary's cross able to do what the blood of bulls and goats could never do? I'll tell you why. Because he's man, but not merely man. He is God who became man. He's all God and all man at the same time. Oh, don't let people confuse you on that. I talked to the fellow that ran the institution where that theologian taught and he published a paper and was taking a bad stand in the blood of Christ and uh, he said well if his blood was uh, not just dissipated in the ground if his blood is eternal what about his other body parts what about his fingernails now, that has occasioned so many sleepless nights of intense theological, oh, good grief. I said, the answer to your question is that the Bible says nothing about our Lord's fingernails. But it does say that his blood is incorruptible. See, a lot of that problem was because people tried to divide the natures of Christ. 
They say, well, that blood was part, that was his human part. No, our Lord didn't have a human part and a divine part. He's not part God and part man. He's all God and all man at the same time. See, he, it wasn't man who was that sleeping in the bottom of the boat. It wasn't God who rebuked the wind and said, peace, be still. If he wasn't God, who, a man who wept outside the tomb of Lazarus. If he wasn't God who said, roll the stone away, and then said, Lazarus, come forth, and he that was dead. I love that. We never speak of death in the past tense. Revelation, your father's still alive. Well, he was dead, but I haven't checked recently. No, we say he's dead. He's gone. He's in heaven. Ah, but when the Lord Jesus comes, death goes into the past tense, and death is passed into life. If it wasn't man who on the cross said, I thirst. If it wasn't God who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If he wasn't man whose body did they place in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and if he wasn't God who rose on the third day, he's all God. He's all man. He's the God man. And he has an endless life. You see, because he is eternal and he always has been and he always will be because he's made not after the power of a carnal commandment, but an endless life because he's God. He could pay for the sins of all mankind because he always has been and he always will be. Yes. What a savior we have. Right. He bore my sin in his body so that we could one day have a sinless eternal body. He was wrongly condemned so that we could escape righteous condemnation. He became sin so that we could be delivered from sin. He took a penalty on himself he did not owe so that we wouldn't have to pay a penalty that we do owe. He gave his earthly life so that we could have, like him, everlasting life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what a life he gives us. He gives me a purpose greater than any purpose the world can offer. Yeah, that's right. Don't envy some celebrity right. who because of their talent or their looks or there's some people I think are just famous for being famous. <laughs> Don't what they do. They're just famous. Don't envy them. The graveyards are filled with those whose names were once on the lips of all society and have been forgotten forever. Right. If I hadn't been a preacher, I'd probably been a lawyer. During our school court case, which was a big deal, cost a quarter of a million dollars, my lawyer said you'd have been a good lawyer. But you know what, lawyers, God bless them, I have them. I appreciate them. They do good stuff. They can write wills. They can set up contracts. Some of them help people get divorced. They can defend you in criminal court. And all that they do ends with life. 
I like doctors. I appreciate them. But a doctor can perform a delicate operation and nurse a patient through a long convalescence. That patient can go get in his car to drive home and some drunk will smash into him and all the doctor's work is done. And the preacher was an engineer. In Michigan, we have a marvel of engineering, the, at least when they built the largest suspension bridge in the world. Five miles of open water, and you drive across the Mackinac Bridge and see those great drooping cables. They paint it year round. I mean, when they get to one end, they go back to the other and start again. And one day, those cables will rust and snap, and the bridge will crumble into the waters below because it was built for time and not eternity. No career offered by the world is as valuable as the endless life given us by our Savior. Amen. He gives me a privilege greater than anything the world can offer. You know, I'm not only privileged to be called the Son of God, I am privileged to be called a servant of God. We are laborers together with God. One summer, when I was in college, I got a job working construction in Flint, Michigan. They said, bring your own hammer. Somebody gave me a curved claw, 16-ounce, rubber-handled fiberglass hammer. Now, the foreman cut all the boards. We did framing mostly. He laid them out. No nail guns in those days. And my job was to go by and take that hammer and pound in two 16-penny spikes into each stud. Then go back and put the top plate on. That was my job. Bend over pounding nails all day. That's, that's what I did. Sometimes I pounded nails in plywood on the roof. That's, that's what I did. But you know what? I didn't draw the plans. I didn't make the design. I didn't figure the loads. I didn't cut the boards out. I just pounded the nails. But I'd drive by a building we had built, and I'd think, hey, I got to be part of that. And my foreman, when I said that to him, he said, yep, every job is a monument to you. Well, I got news for you. We are laborers together with Christ. Amen. What a deal. What a blessing. What a privilege to enter into the eternal work of the endless life of our great high priest. And he gives me a peace that the world knows nothing about. A peace that passes understanding. Now, that's because when you trust Jesus to be your Savior, he not only forgives your sin, he not only washes you in his own blood, he not only delivers you from eternal death and condemnation. As marvelous as that is, our glorious Savior, our high and holy priest does so much more. He robes us in his own righteousness. He includes us in his family. He makes us partakers of the divine nature and he imparts to us his endless life. See a car crash 
can't destroy you. You have an endless life. A nuclear explosion is not to be concerned about. I don't think we'll all get blown up. But if we do, we'll get blown all the way up. We have an endless life. A drive-by shooting cannot eliminate you. We have a list. My secretary's kept it. Of all of our bus riders who have been shot in drive-by shootings. It's in the hundreds. Zagreb is a violent town. And we have a list of some who participated in drive-by shootings. It's not as long. It's terrible, senseless, tragic. Guy sitting on his porch, walking down the street, bam, bam, bam. And his life ends, oh, no it doesn't. Not he knows Jesus as his savior. And cancer cannot kill you, and it cannot kill me. No, if all the disease, all the disaster, all the defilement, all the destruction of this sin-cursed world, all it can ever do is change my address. <laughs> yeah. I'll stop living at 9505 Maple Road in Bertram, Michigan. And I'll live at the corner of Hallelujah Avenue and Glory Boulevard. But we live our lives by and large as if this life was all there is. What we think about, what we worry about, what we focus on, what we try to do is so much consumed with the here and now. Think about your life. How much time you spend reading the Bible? How much time you spend watching television? I, uh, Get a notification once a week on my phone. Tells me how many hours I spent on the phone altogether. And how many hours I spent on the three or four main apps. And most of the time, the main thing I did on my telephone is read the Bible. But sometimes I watch. I remember one time I was really embarrassed. I read Fox News more than I read the Bible. Now sometimes... I was on maps more than I was in the Bible. That's because I was driving someplace. Took ten hours in one day. I, I give myself a break on that. Think about how much money you invest in yourself, your earthly future, your earthly present, and think about how little you invest in the cause of Christ. Amen. I. Uh, Heard about a rancher and preacher went to visit him. The rancher's big talk in Texas, Texan. And he, he said, the preacher took him out of spot, said, look over that that way. He said, far as you can see, I own all that. He pointed the opposite direction. Look out that way, far as you can see, I own all that. He pointed this direction. Look out there, far as you can see, I own all of that. And he said, look that way, far as you can see, I own all of that. And the preacher said, well, that's interesting. He said, how much do you own up there? Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things 
shall be added to you. Bob Jones Sr. said one time, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Well, maybe, but I never met them. But I know a whole lot of Christians so earthly minded, they're not much heavenly good. September 25th, I had my biopsy. Doctor was quite sure the cancer had returned. He didn't have reports in yet, but he said, oh, he said, I, I continue to believe it's returned. And he met with me, then he met with my wife, and he said, he probably won't remember me meeting with him, I did. But he said, now I told him, rest, take it easy, don't do much for about a week. Don't use your voice beyond conversation. Just because of the slicing and dicing they've done in there. And my wife smiled and said, well, tomorrow we're getting on an airplane to fly to California where my husband is to preach at a conference. And my doctor, I've witnessed to him, giving him the gospel. Don't know if he's saved or not. I have brief meetings with him. I'm able to share the gospel, give it to him in written form, but I'm able to go through it like I'd like to. And my doctor said, that's one of the things I admire about your husband. He has a mission. I do. So do you. Right. It's called the Great Commission. Yes. By the grace of God, I intend to obey mine. What are you going to do, my church? Lord, help us to be aware of how self-centered and earth-focused we become. And help us not only to rejoice in the wonderful salvation that gives us absolutely certain eternal life, but help us to live now as those who already have it. And live now as those who live briefly on earth and forever in heaven. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Not exactly sure what to do for an invitation, maybe I'll just say this. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Set your affection on things above. You enjoy, because of our Savior, the power of an endless life. I wonder who would say, Brother Lett, I need to live more like that's true. God's spoken to my heart find it far too easy to be focused on the earthly and ignore the eternal. Pray with me. If you say that, would you hold your hand up high? Thank you, Father, for this good response. Continue to work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You'd quietly stand and...